0: Let's read God's word together. So Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 36. So we're reading from 36 till the end. And as we read, we remember that this is God's word. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stared continually at the temple, praising God. Amen. Well, for a moment or
1: two this evening, we want to look at uh, this passage that we read earlier, that Jordan read for us in Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible with you, let's turn to that. It'll help us work our way through it a little bit. Uh, page 1062, uh, if you've got one of the Pew Bibles from verse 36, just these last verses of um, of Luke's gospel. You, you'll know that there's sometimes there are little phrases that, that sort of catch your attention, and they sit with you, and, and one of those sort of picked... Uh, my or got my attention this week. It was, it was uh, somebody talking about the change that Jesus had brought to the disciples because of his resurrection, and they said that, that he had turned them from mourners into missionaries, mourners into missionaries. It's a, it's a remarkable little phrase that just sort of captures something of the transformation that took place in the disciples. We know that they, they, they were. We were reading it this morning, weren't we? There were lots of tears and there were lots of struggles, and then there was deep joy. There was lots of timidity and eventually, not immediately, but eventually there was great courage. Jesus brought tremendous change as he turns his disciples from mourners into missionaries. And I want to think just for a moment or two about this witnessing task that the risen Jesus commissions his disciples uh, with and, and the church with us. If we're believers here tonight, we're going to see that here at the end of Luke. This this passage comes uh, after the the story of the road to Emmaus. It's it's a story that I really really love. We almost look at it every Easter at some point. The uh, time when those downhearted disciples, Cleopas and maybe his wife, are are walking away from Jerusalem, and uh, they've just really given up. They've thrown in the towel. And Jesus, and you think of of. This is perhaps the thought that, that really captures me most, that, that, that all the things that Jesus could do on that Easter Sunday afternoon, evening, he takes time to meet with these downhearted, crushed disciples. How gracious he is and, and reveals himself to them. They are filled with joy, of course, and they, they rush back to Jerusalem to the other disciples. It's a, a, a bit of a journey for them, and they come uh, four miles, and, and they find the other disciples where they'd left them, presumably, in the upper room. Maybe they'd hardly even known that they'd gone. They'd just maybe slipped out into the, into the afternoon. And they excitedly tell them what they've seen. And, and, <clears throat> and now, of course, for this group, the evidence is starting to gather, isn't it? They've, they've heard this story and that story, and they've seen the empty tomb, and they, they wonder, what, what, what's going on? You know, if, if it was robbers, they, they wouldn't have left the, the grave clothes behind with the, with the, the, the precious spices. If it was uh, the, the, the Romans trying to take the body, well, why would they have, have, have done that and left the grave clothes? You know, it, it just didn't make sense for them. And so the evidence is starting to, to build up. And while they are talking about this, Jesus himself, verse 36, comes and stands among them. So here, this is the first Easter evening, and Jesus meets with the disciples. Quite a moment, uh, obvious that uh, you would pay close attention to what Jesus would say if he showed up on that resurrection evening. And uh, Luke tells us certain things that Jesus talks to the disciples about. Very much it lays the foundation, this gathering of the disciples lays the foundation for what happens next in the book of Acts, Acts being the second volume, as it were, of Luke's work. And uh, here in these last verses of the gospel, Luke tells us really important things, or Jesus says really important things about the message that these disciples are going to proclaim to the world, that they are turned from mourners into missionaries. They, they're given this task of being proclaimers of the good news about Jesus. We're going to look at some of the things that characterize that message tonight. Just a few things. Uh, here they are. Let's see. Uh, yeah, true. Message that's true. A message that's written. A message that focuses on Jesus' work. And a message that is carried. Very, very simple uh, this evening. A message that's true, first of all. We, we, we said something about this this morning. It's so common with Easter to hear, especially sort of... Uh, Professional Christians on the radio and, and on the, I'm trying to say this without being disparaging, you know, uh, people who come on from all sorts of churches and they talk about Easter being a season of hope and so on. And, and so that will give us hope about Brexit, you know. Really, I don't think Jesus had Brexit in mind whenever uh, he rose from the dead. And, and, and hope about all sorts of devastating situations. And, and if you push some of these people, of course, and you ask them the question, well, well, do you think that Jesus really, really rose from the dead? Some of them, not all of them, of course, but some of them might say, well, do you know what? That was a, that's really a secondary issue. The main thing is the hope that we can hold on to. Well, th- this is so far from where Luke is. Luke is just making it really, really clear that th- this is a, a real bodily resurrection that completely turns these disciples on their head. Uh, And if you you want to uh, uh, look at some of the the, the evidence that there is here, even in this little passage, Luke just brings lots of it to bear. For for example, he points out that the the disciples were particularly hard to convince. They, 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 They weren't sitting, dreaming up stories and saying, well, you know, this is disappointing. Let's make the best out of a bad job. How can we make the story of Jesus live on? They were all just a few steps behind Cleopas. We're about to throw in the towel here. They were skeptical. They, they, they even the thought that that uh, when Jesus stood in front of them, uh, they were still skeptical. You'll, you'll hear people say, "Well, these were primitive people, and and they were easily convinced about stuff." and and uh, they maybe wanted to believe that their close friend Jesus hadn't really gone. The facts here say otherwise. They, they're not dying to believe Jesus is alive. Even when he appears to them, they come up with an alternative hypothesis. They think that he's a, a ghost, you know? So, so, so hard are they to convince that they, they just know that people don't rise from the dead. Luke suggests that... Um, Uh, that that there's there's an absolute transformation going on here. It's hard to know just how many of them there are here. There might have been a a large gathering Uh, at this point. There are 11, verse 33. It tells us that there are 11 of them. There are maybe more that have gathered at Pentecost. We know there are 120. So perhaps there's a, a reasonably large body of people here. And yet here they are, frightened, confused, ineffectual, other Gospels tell us they have the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So, this was not a group that looks as if it's about to take the world by storm. And yet, that's exactly what happens. From this confused, frightened body of people, the church of Jesus would emerge in just a generation. We mentioned that little fact this morning. It was attested by um, non Christian sources that. Christianity was a worldwide movement by AD 70. Christianity's opponents in the Gospels say, these men have come here who have turned the world upside down. And this is where that movement has its roots. All of this to underline that the message that we go to the world with is true. Jesus has come into this world God has broken into his creation Jesus has died Jesus is risen it 's a message that's true it's a message that's written I don 't know if you you notice this in the way through look as it pains to show us that Jesus points to the scriptures as the basis of this message that needs to be taken to the world now certainly it 's about him it's about these people's experience of him. They are witnesses. You see that he calls them witnesses in verse 48. So their experience of him is not unimportant. But it's interesting what he doesn't do. He doesn't immediately say, now, write all this down. He doesn't say, record a, a little video of this and, and get it up on YouTube as quickly as possible. He doesn't say that. He points them somewhere else. See verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's really saying to them, you know, that God has been at work revealing all of this already, and you've got to see how all of this fits into God's revelation in the Scriptures. Jesus claims here that that all of the scriptures point to him. He makes the same claim with the disciples on the Emmaus Road. Do you remember? Uh, uh, Verse 27, if you cast your eye uh, back up uh, the the first column there. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Again, he, he doesn't ask them to fully rely upon their experience, upon their eyewitness testimony. It's not unimportant, but he draws them to the Scriptures. And that's what we must do too. They are not to rely on their experience alone, but they are to see that the story of Jesus is a story that has been written about. God has given us a book. That's why we're sitting with it on our laps tonight that's why we're turning to it and referring to it. And and as we think about this message that's to go out to the world, and we think about our missionary task, we're going to say a bit more about that in a moment. But as we think about that, not not only I I know that that we're praying for for friends and for family, and we're often wanting to to, to pray, Lord, you know, give me an opportunity just to to say how much Jesus means for me. Fantastic. Give me an opportunity to, to say what to tell my story, what what, what Jesus has done for me. That's fantastic. But as well as that, maybe we should should add, Lord, give me an opportunity to bring my friends somehow under the influence of your written revelation of your Word. What does that mean? Does that mean you say to them, maybe this is a conversation a little bit down the road, but do you say to them, do you know what? Have you ever examined the scriptures for yourself. Would you, like to, would you like to read Mark's gospel with me? We'll just read a couple of chapters and meet up for a coffee and talk about it. Maybe it means getting them along to a service where the word of God is explained. Because after all, the word of God comes with power, much more power than us just simply saying, you know, you should think about that. That's not unimportant. Don't get me wrong but the Word of God comes with power. So, 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 the message is written. God has given us a book. And so, Jesus, in this, this appearance with the disciples, is so insistent that He shows them the Scriptures. Third thing, message is all about the work of of Jesus. It's all about the work of Jesus. Jesus unpacks for the disciples the heart of the message that they will end up taking to the world. You see, he does that in verses 46 and 47. He told them, this is what is written. See, there's that written again. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So here's some key sort of elements of the message. Notice, first of all, there's something here about Jesus' identity. He, he, he doesn't say, A, I had to, and, and he had to suffer and be raised from the dead. He says the Christ had to suffer and be raised from the dead. He's pointing out who Jesus was. The Christ is the Messiah. He's God's chosen one, his anointed one, who's come to do God's bidding. And as we read the Gospels, we begin to understand, of course, that he is indeed God's son. So so it really matters who we think Jesus is. There's there's real content to the Gospel, you see. And, And we understand that his death is really important. Here's something else we've got to get our heads around. What role does the cross play in the message? He had to suffer. And the connotation here that he was suffering for something that was in God's purpose. And again, he's, he's knowing what the di- the disciples, uh, this is what the disciples knew. There was no way he was suffering for, him, for himself. He was clearly suffering for others. So it fits into all that we've seen in something like Isaiah. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. So, So we need to to proclaim. As we take this message to the world, the content involves the person of Christ and the work of Christ upon the cross. It also involves the resurrection. Perhaps, Ryan was saying this this morning, we, we, we perhaps don't talk enough about the resurrection. It's not just enough for him to suffer, because how would we know if his suffering had achieved anything? Only when the tomb is open and empty, Do we know that what Christ came to do is fully sufficient? Now, you see, this makes it clear what is at the heart of Christianity. It is the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus has died for sin. He's made atonement for sin. And there are lots of people today who want to redefine this church's task What's the church here for in the world? If you were to talk to some Christians, you would think that, that Jesus came to reduce carbon dioxide emissions, that Jesus came to to uh, open animal sanctuaries.
0: It, it, that, that,
1: that, that, you, you know, it's, it's just so people just import their, their particular hobby horse into the task of the church. Now, Both of those things are important. I love donkeys as much as the next person. And and climate change is really important, although, boy, today is great. Uh, So so we really need to to think that this is the content of the gospel, the, the central task of the church. And you see how much it relies on what Jesus has done. Let's not get into the task of of going out to the world and saying, here's what you must do. First of all, we must say, look at what Jesus has done. There is something to do, however. Jesus speaks about repentance and forgiveness of sins being preached. It tells us what Jesus has done for the whole world. It needs to be heard and received by the whole world. And it's not just enough that Jesus has done this. People need to hear about it. It, the, The message needs to intersect with their lives. And this happens as the message is passed on. You see that it calls for a change in people's lives. It talks about repentance. This is one of the places where we're going to butt up against the culture. Does anybody really like being told that they're wrong, that they need to change? And yet Jesus says, you have a message to take to the world and it involves turning around cause us to recognize that the path that we are on is the wrong one, and we now need to turn to God because Jesus has made that possible. Friend, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian and you're, you're sort of working through all of this and you're trying to investigate this, don't make what's an easy mistake in some senses to make, to think that that this is about about you adding some stuff onto your life and being good and and, and bringing this in, but your life sort of continues with a little bit of extra. This is calling you, Christianity is calling you for an absolute U-turn where you turn from saying, Jesus, I'm doing this my own way to saying, Jesus, you are king and Lord and I need you in everything. It's an absolute U-turn. Repentance. Because that's what brings forgiveness of sins. This is what we need. If you've um, uh, been here for, for a while, uh, you, you'll remember that I've, I've one of my favorite stories is that healing of the paralyzed man, that man who is lowered down before Jesus, and, and everybody in the room thinks he really needs to walk. That's his number one priority. And Jesus says, let me tell you what your number one priority is. It's not what you feel, it's not what you might rationalize. It is that your sins would be forgiven. And so he says, first up, son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody in the room is going, oh, Jesus, you've really missed it here. Surely, can you see? Did you miss that, that he was lowered on a mat? And Jesus is saying, number one is forgiveness. It's, it's hinted at here, isn't it, in the way that Jesus arrives with them. He says to them, peace be with you. He's just one peace for us, you see. It's not just feeling good about yourself or your circumstances. It's about that relationship that you and I have with God. Either a relationship with, of enmity, where we are enemies of God. We were thinking about that in Shankle on Friday night or a relationship where we are at peace with God because God has reconciled us to himself. And of course, here we also see that this message is for everyone. Preached to all nations. We're still in this project, aren't we? Places that have never heard about Jesus, peoples that have never heard about Jesus. We've got to play our part in that. It's a message that centers on what Jesus has done. It's about Jesus' work, but demands response. And the last thing, just in in a word or two, it's a message that is to be passed on. How is this message to be known? Well, simply as these disciples pass it on. It's not rocket science. You know, traders will will say to you, some of you have said this, you know that the very best advertising that you can ever get is what? Word of mouth. Well, for Jesus, word of mouth is all important. And it's not the task just of those who are specially trained somehow. you see that there were 11 disciples here of Jesus, but there are others as well. There are those there who don't have the benefit of being with Jesus for three years as as the other disciples did. And so they couldn't just sit there and say, well, this sounds super hard. I'm sure he didn't really mean me. This was really clear. This is the job of the church, isn't it? Everyone to play their part in taking this message to the world. It's incredibly challenging. So impossible is it, of course, that Jesus says, you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. You've got to have spiritual power from outside of yourself. So, the Holy Spirit will be given to you, the promise of the Spirit, particularly given to us for the challenge of mission. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a job to do. I'm going to give you the resources to do the job. You'll not be able to do this on your own. You'll have the Holy Spirit. So, very simple. Jesus comes back to these disciples. And sometimes the way we think about Jesus is that we we would paint the picture almost as if he would just come to say, do you know what? I'm back and I'm here to be a chaplain to your dreams and to your life so that you carry on and, and you set your heart and all the things that you want to get out of life and I'll just be at the sidelines cheering you on and picking you up when you trip and cut your knee. But that's not what Jesus came back to do. He came back to show himself, to be the authoritative son of God and then to say to his disciples, now, now that this salvation has been won, you're on mission with me all of you. How are we doing at that task? What a challenge. Not turn from mourners to self-satisfied consumers, but turn from mourners to missionaries. Let's pray that God will give us some of that heart. Let's pray together. Lord, there, there are times, if we're honest, we, we just wish that Jesus would have come back to, to encourage us and, and to, to, to patch up our, our, our lives and not to ask anything off us. But Lord, if, if, if this story is as great as it is, then surely we're wanting to tell the world about it. So, Lord, will you help us? We're thinking of lands far away, people who have been born and who live and today or tomorrow will pass from this earth. They've never heard the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to figure out what we can do about that. But, Lord, we can think of lots of people that we do know that are Around us, and we want them to know Jesus. And here we are at this Easter day. We pray that something of the good news of the resurrected, powerful Jesus will intersect with our friends' lives, our family's lives, our colleagues' lives, our neighbors' lives and will do so through us. Lord, surprise us. Help us, Lord, like, like these timorous disciples, to, to look to your Holy Spirit for help. Give us what we need, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.